uh, Doug, do you have a confession to make? Confession? I'm sorry. I didn't Stand up. Come on, let's do it. We're talking about confession and repentance today, so come on. Attracted. I spent the last two weeks in climates far warmer than this. The Caribbean, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but maybe because I was there in Kentucky this week, uh, I was on retreat and it was 80 degrees. While my wife was freezing her took us off because our power went out. <laughs> and I'm on the phone, I'm like, wow, wow I feel, feel bad for you, baby, I don't know. <laughs> and because of that, my distraction, I did not change over the cloth on the cross to purple for Flogging? Flogging? Uh, <laughs> All good. So uh, today is a day that Jesus said some things to his people because he loved them. But sometimes, if you're a parent, many of us have been. Grandparents, not so much. We don't, I don't correct my granddaughter very often. But sometimes as parents, we have to say, things to our children that they don't want to hear, but even though they don't believe it because we don't get it and they're smarter than everybody else that's ever been on the planet, um, sometimes you have to remind your kids of something that's going to be harmful to them even though they don't think it, they don't think it is. And Jesus does that today in this passage. And I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a few, uh, two little paragraphs from, from Luke chapter 12 that that aren't going to be on the screen, and I intentionally chose not to put them on the screen so that um, we can just hear them, like if Jesus were in the room, how he would say it. Then um, we'll get to two other sections in, the, in, in Luke 13 uh, that, that connect with all of it, but this kind of sets the tone. So I'm going uh, to offer a prayer, and there'll be a There'll be a personal piece in that prayer, I just want you to know, but it's because there are two ways of approaching a sermon on confession and repentance. One is hellfire and brimstone and anger, sinners in the hands of an angry God. The other is Jesus was loving his people by telling them this, and I hope that you know after 10 years that I love you. And so I just, you, we need to hear this, I need to hear this, and I would just ask that God <clears throat> open our eyes and ears and hearts because of something that's been going on in the world seems like God might be doing something, some, some new thing, and I'm hoping that we can be a part of that. Let's pray together. Lord, you're God, and we're not, and we are so grateful for that. Lord, you know, you know a, a month ago when these passages were picked that, that you put on my heart that, look, Trent, you have to do this because you love them. So, Lord, I pray humbly that you you communicate your love for us through my love for them. And Lord, we humbly ask that you show up. We don't believe in your absence ever, but something's been going on around the country the last couple of weeks that your presence has been tangible to thousands of people. And we ask for you humbly to be present here with us today like you are on college campuses all around the country and now the world. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive what you would have us see, hear, and receive. We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. So these are the ones that aren't on the, on the screen. This is from Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 49, if, you're, if you've grabbed your Bible. Jesus says these difficult things. I have come to bring fire on the earth, 
and how I wish it was already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you. But division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against the other, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And then he says this. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain, and it does. And when, you see a, when, you, when, when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret, sorry, I lost a word there. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't see how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? And as you're going on with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled to him on the way. Or he may drag you off to the judge and the judge turn you over to the officer and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid every penny. Jesus is talking about a debt that we owe. He's talking about the fact that, that fathers and sons, you know, we, we, we've heard these things. But usually when we think of Jesus, we think of the beginning of the gospel when it says, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But here he says, because something's just changed in his ministry. He's just, this, he, he's just gone from out and around, and now he turns to head up to Jerusalem, where his baptism, he's already been baptized by John the baptizer, but his baptism, the cross, death, dissension into hell, resurrection, and then ascension to the Father, that's still to come, and he knows he's agonizing about it. But he tells them, you know how to read the appearance of the earth and the sky, can't you see what's going on in our times? And folks, can we see what's going on in our times? Can we see the arrogance of our culture? Can we see even the, our own arrogance? Can we look and see that God is going, hey guys, you don't know what I know. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are my ways are not your ways. But we get so caught up in, in part in our comfort because there's no existential threat to us right now. We can get really caught up as a culture and go, we don't need God. We'll, we'll tip our hat every now and then. We might pay homage when we pray before a meal. But seeking God when the world seems to be falling apart, we think of that for other people but we don't necessarily see that for ourselves. And Jesus is saying, folks, watch out, look. So I want to tell you something that happened 50 years ago. 50 years ago, the first week of February, on, in, on the campus of Ashbury University, <clears throat> a pastor stood up and he said, I think I should just start with calling you all to confess. He said, come on forward if you want someone to pray for you. And they did. And that lasted for 150 hours. People from all around the, the region came to Ashbury to hear and to see and to experience the forgiveness of God, the goodness of God, the presence of God. And that sparked 
a revival that went nationwide. You ever hear the Jesus movement? Remember Hippies for Jesus? That happened, that started in 1970. And, and, and many of our church leaders today were a result of the evangelism and the move of God that took place in our country in 1970. Fast forward 53 years. Second week of February, Ashbury University. I, I heard the message, and it was good, but it wasn't something that I went, oh my goodness, I want to crawl through the TV screen and be there. And I heard the prayer. The man at the end, so the Ashbury Chapel, meet, they, they meet three times a week from 10 to 11 o'clock. Mandatory. It's a Wesleyan background school with a seminary across the, park, or across the street. And he said, I, I just, I feel like we need to call people. Anyone, I'll stay around, I don't have anything until 2 o'clock. Anyone wants to come down for prayer to confess? And dozens stayed. And then others heard that dozens had stayed, and they showed up. And then others showed up. 10 days, 24 hours a day, 20 plus thousand people last weekend showing up to Ashbury University to experience the presence of God. Dozens of uber-famous preachers showed up and said, hey, you need anything? No, you're, you're welcome to be here, but you wait in line and you sit in the back like every other adult. And it took off and it went from, I just had it here. It went from, in last week or a week and a half ago alone, it went from Ashbury University in Kentucky to Lee University in Tennessee, which is more of a Pentecostal college. It went to Cedarville University in Ohio, Samford in Alabama, and now people are taking that and they're running all across the country and even into Europe. And there are revivals, or I don't know if we can call it a revival yet, because revival history tells us it was a revival, whether there's permanent ongoing cultural change, but God showed up. God is moving, and it wasn't histrionics, it wasn't emotionalism, it wasn't any of that. It was simply the presence of God, the goodness of God, and people being delivered from their own selfishness, whether they were, whether they were ill, people's uh, financial needs were met. There's one guy that stood up, he's a foreign exchange student, and he started, uh, he started talking, he's given his testimony, and that's all it was, his testimony, worship, testimony, worship, guitar, piano, no words on the screen for 10 days, 24 hour worship. One guy was standing up and he, he was just giving his testimony. He said, look, I might have to go back um, to, I think it was Argentina. I might have to go back to Central America um, because I, 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 I'm having trouble finding a job. And, I'm a blah, 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 blah. and one guy up in the balcony goes, he, he just felt prompted by God. He goes, give him the money in your wallet. So he wads it up and he throws it on the stage. And that started about a two, two or three dozen people walking up and just showering, make it rain, just showering money down the guy. He's like, no, 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 no. And then he's weeping. The whole place starts erupting in praise and glory. The guy walked around out with two to $3,000. So his financial needs to stay at school were met. Why? Why am I telling you that? Because 53 years ago, when something like that happened, God changed a generation. Do we not all want to see a generational change? Do we not all want to see a cultural change? Do we not all want to see people turn their hearts, their minds back to God? Well, you know where that starts, folks? It always starts every single time with the people of God. The remnant the people that are faithful. God always says, my bride, my church, my people need to look like me, the Holy Spirit, Father God. You need to look like they're my people. We should live our lives in such a way that other people can tell who our God is. And God has started 
with a generation, and he almost always starts awakenings and, and revivals with the youth, with a generation that is hopeless. All the things that was going on in the 1960s, going into 70, the, the, the teenagers and the hippie movement and all that they were looking for, all good things in all wrong places. Is that not what's happening today? But God starts with his people. Jesus says in Luke 13, that there, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about, and we don't have a whole lot of historical data on this. We're just going to trust that it happened because it's in Scripture. Told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices, so he killed them. And Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. By the way, whenever you hear vineyard in the New Testament, it's really referring to the people of God, to Israel. God is the, God is the vine, uh, we're the branches. Or God is the gardener, Jesus is the vine, we're the, we're, the, we're the branches. Anything that talks about a vineyard is always talking about God and how he cultivates and raises up his people to be fruitful. Men planted a fig tree in his vineyard and he, he went to look for fruit on it. He didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it. I'll fertilize it. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Jesus is telling his people at that time God sent prophets, he's fertilized, he's done all these things over the years, and my people are supposed to be fruitful, and they're not. And Jesus is the man who runs the vineyard, and he says to himself, because Father, Son, and Spirit are all of one mind, but let's give it one more time, one more chance, give it one more season. Let me come down there. We'll show them who we are. I don't believe in three gods, but there's an interpersonal relationship called the paracoritical Perichoretical relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Community, family among the Godhead. Let's, let's give him one more chance. But how does he start that whole thing? Can you read the times? Can you see what's happening? You think when you see all that stuff going on in our culture that those people need to repent? They'll get what's coming to them. They, see, they, they need to figure it out. They need to stop being so arrogant. They, 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 they. What does Jesus say? You think those Galileans were the evil ones? No. You repent or perish. Those people that in Jerusalem that had the Tower of Siloam fall on them, you think that they, they were punished because they were more evil? Than, no, you repent. And then he goes through and he says, look, you, the time is ripe. Either bear fruit or don't. And then further on, Jesus says this. <clears throat> this is in verse 22, chapter 13. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Again, he's headed up for, for the, the passion of Christ, for, the, for everything that he came to do. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? 
And he said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast of the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and the first who will be last. That phrase, make every effort, that's one word in Greek, and it's antagonise. It's what we get the word antagonize or, or um, to be in agony about. So he's saying it should burn in you to try to be holy. As far as it depends on you, you make sure your eyes are fixed on the narrow door, the path less traveled, whatever other colloquialism or metaphor we want to put on it. God is saying to his people, as far as it depends on you, be holy. Because there will come a time when you thought, because I went to church, because I did this, because I did that, and because I brought meatloaf to the, pot, to the, to the, to the potluck, Jesus has to accept me. No. We look at the world, and it's easy. I get caught up in this all the time. I, 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 have to, I actually have to catch myself for not saying things out loud in front of the TV because I'm supposed to hold every thought captive. And I might have the thought, but I do have a filter to not let it come out. But it's like, Those, man, do we not know we're all going to hell? Do we not see where our culture is going? And what does Jesus say to me? Are they more evil than you? Repent or perish. Are they more arrogant than you? Repent or perish. In, the 19, in 1970, when this Jesus movement took off, there were doors of churches closed to Christians because they looked like hippies. And I mean hippies, like they looked like Jesus. And then lots of flowers and all that and the headbands and the probably didn't bathe as often as we would like them to. But they, they were not welcomed into church because they didn't look like Christians. There's one guy that tells a story that he went down to, um, to Ashbury because tens of thousands of people showed up. People stood in line for almost half a day just to have an hour to sit in there and witness what's going on. They had moved it to, they, they opened up four different large auditoriums as overflow. God showed up. And there are plenty of critics out there, I get it, but it's hard to argue with what happened. But there's one guy that was sit, sitting there and he, he, they, they were standing up to worship and there was a, a, a young woman in front of him tattered jean jacket with all kinds of the wrong kind of logos on it and uh, very, very colored hair. And um, we've all seen, and he's like, oh, she, and I'm going to use his words. She's just some uber woke person that's here to just disrupt things. And then God just, who are you? Who do you think you are? 
judging someone by what they look like. See, contact, external contact with Jesus is not enough. Inward contact with Jesus is everything. What people look like is irrelevant. What God does for them, in them, and later through them is what God is concerned about. So you, me, us, we, we are our people, but are we God's people? Do we want the presence of God or do we want religiosity? None of this is an accusation. If I thought you were just religiosity people, I would have looked for a different call a long time ago. If I thought you were just upper middle class churchians, I would have, I would have bolted. I doubt Doug would be here. Well, maybe Doug, because he, you know, he doesn't even know when to change the thing. Um, <laughs> but I want you to look at one of the disciples of Jesus, actually two, but one in particular, Judas. You remember what he did? We all know, we all know what he did. He, for, for some coins, he sold out Jesus. But he was a zealot. He wanted to transform, he wanted, he wanted God to move and transform the, 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 the government of the time, the, the ruling body. And that's a, that's a fine thing to be after. But he was so caught up in his thing that he betrayed Jesus. I, it's so easy for me to get caught up in the body politic. It's so easy for me to get caught up in giving my guy or my gal or my people, oh, well, they messed up. They didn't say that right, but, you know, I know what they meant. But the other side, man, I'll hang on every word. And like, you, oh, I see what you're doing. What does Jesus say to that when we get caught up in that? What does Jesus say to it when we get caught up in, in wanting our, our, our home to be just right, but we ignore the needs of people? What, what, is, what does he, he says to me, he says to you, he says to us, confess it. Repent of it. At dinner with a friend one month ago, Thursday. And he got a clear, he had gotten a clear answer from God about something. Lord, is this what you want me to do, or do you want me to do this? And it was very clear to he and his wife, boom. But still felt, oh, God, I'm not so I still kind of want the other way. What's the solution? God gives you clear orders clear plan, clear answer, and if I don't like it or I'm still unsettled by it, what's the, what's the answer? Confess it. Repent of it. And is make every effort to walk through the narrow door. Folks, I have no idea what sin you have in your life. I have no idea where your passions lie, not all of you. I have no idea what, what occupies your mind more than anything else. But I do know about me. And I know that this, the, the word of God, Jesus, the living word of God, says in the written word of God, what is the response he expects from his people? Stop thinking other people are more evil than you. Stop thinking that other people are more prideful than you. Stop thinking that other people are more blessed than you. Confess, repent, and the alternative is weeping and gnashing of teeth. The alternative is hell. Instead of wondering, are few going to be saved, Jesus says, be saved. Are you the saved one? 
Are we the saved ones? And if we are, then God will be here. And if God is here, others will want to be here. A couple of dozen college students at a Christian university felt compelled to say, Lord, I've got anxiety. I've got depression. I'm worried about my parents. I'm worried about my mother. I'm worried about this. I've got the whole world tells us that what we're doing is wrong, and I've got to go out into that world in a couple of years. Lord, I just, I don't trust you like I should. And they show up, they kneel down, and they confess. And four, four days later, this young man who had been a Christian for a year and a half, he heard about this revival, and he and a buddy drove about four hours to get there. They got there about midnight, and they're, they're, so there's plenty of room at midnight, and he got in the back, and he's like, okay, Lord, this is what revival looks like? Really? And then when morning came and the worship started back up again, louder, um, the Lord kind of said to him, go down to the front. I'm like, all right, just to worship. This is what revival looks like? And he said, I want you to kneel down at front. He knelt down. And then the Lord said, look left. And he looked left, and there was a very elderly lady praying for a young college girl who's weeping. And then the Lord says, look right. And he looked right. And there is a 19-year-old college boy praying for an octogenarian man weeping. And then the Lord said, look, look behind you. And there's people standing with their arms up, tearing up in worship and experience of the presence of God. And then that man said, this is what revival looks like. Now, I don't know if it's revival, but I do know it's a move. I do know there's renewal going on on some college campuses. But so many people came there and then went back to their home churches. Is there not, should there not be the presence of God and renewal every single time we gather? Now, we can emotionalize it. We can make it about emotionalism and religious fervor, or we can just confess and repent and seek God. I pray that it's the latter for each of us because the time has come. God is showing us that he hasn't given up on this world. He hasn't given up on this culture, and he hasn't given up on this Gen Z either. Neither should we. We should pray for them. We should seek them. And when they come in with blue or purple hair and all kinds of the other stuff, we should love them. Let's pray. Almighty God, we bless you and praise you and thank you for who you are and that you haven't given up on us. Sometimes it looks like you've given up on the world. Sometimes it even feels like you've given up on us. But the tide of faith often goes out and we're just thankful that the tide of faith is coming back in. And it didn't last for centuries. It just lasted for decades. Lord, bring the tithe. Bring the tsunami. Save your people and save those who don't yet know they're your people. And Lord, save us. Because we need what you've done first. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.